Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 9 and verse 13. Book of Revelation, chapter 9 and verse 13. We're going to resume our study there of what we've been looking at. Uh, we might remember from verse 1, it says, which God gave to his bondservants to show them the things that were getting ready to come shortly upon the earth. So we have to remember that you might be able to read it. Unbelievers can read this book and they get confused by it. Guess what? That's what happens. But he gave it to his bondservants. To even Christians, if you want to understand this book, you have to have the right attitude. And the attitude that you're here to serve the king. You are here uh, at his pleasure. You are here to try and honor him with all your thoughts, speech, and actions. It should be our ambition to do that which is pleasing in the eyes of the Lord. And so we're reminded of that constantly every time we open the book of Revelation. And one thing about it is it's a, it, you're promised a blessing. Blessed are those who read and hear the words of the book of this prophecy. What a blessing that it is to be able to read Revelation. But as you've come to know, if you don't have a grasp of the other 65 books, this book is going to leave you clueless. So it, it draws inferences, over 300 inferences, to the Old Testament, uh, even though there's no direct quotations from it. But it is very clearly referring to other things that have already been taught and revealed. Now, before we begin, let's take this time for prayer to get ourselves ready to look into the Word of God. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your blessings, for your tests, for your opportunities. We thank you for your marvelous Word. We thank you for its inspiration. And how you used over 40 people on different continents over the span of 1,500 years to write down a timeless message. We thank you that you preserved it and brought it into this day and time. That we would be able to open it up today and have, have a confidence in the message that you transmitted. Because although you used man, you were the one that superintended it and you brought it to us. You as a creator had a message to share. And as a creator, that message would be true. And that, and that message you wanted brought down to us so we could learn it and understand it today. And Father, like the, the song said, we, we'll all understand it by and by. Because you said, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. But one day, we're going to know in full as we've been fully known. Father, we thank you for that. It's part of the faith walk that we walk by today. Father, I pray you would enlighten us, challenge us, convict us by this, this message that you have for us this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, the, the chart that um, we've been referring to multiple times, and I'll try to keep referring to it, because John wrote this about 96 A.D. That's on this part of the chart that's not existent, Okay. <laughs> It doesn't say 96 A.D., but that's, that's about when he wrote, wrote this. He was on the Isle of Potmos. We know where he was. We know the emperor that was ruling and reigning. We know that John was there. And it tells us in the first chapter that this is going to be a prophecy. He's going to tell us about the things that are, the things that are going to come upon the earth. We know from the first three verses of the book, the whole book is prophetic. Because it says the words of the book of this prophecy. And we, we know these seven churches were in existence in Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, 
They were in existence back then, and they were hand-picked to be representative of different eras of the church age. There were other churches we know of left out. They were not included in this list. They could have been. So he picked these seven churches for their strengths and their weaknesses to teach us how we should live in here in the church age. We know in chapter 4, verse 1, that's a scene in heaven after the rapture. John was a caught up in a rapture. It was just like Paul was caught up into the third heaven to show, be shown things. John, in the same way, only about 35 years later, got a glimpse of, of, of heaven, a glimpse of eternity. And chapter 4 and 5 of the book of Revelation are about the scene in heaven right after the rapture. Now, one of the big things in that chapter was that they were looking for someone worthy to open the, the, the book, worthy to open the seals and break the seals that were on the book, because with the seals came judgments. But no one was found worthy, John said, in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, until the Lamb came up, and he took the book from the one seated on the throne, which has got to be the Father. So the Father gives the book to the Lamb that took away the sin of the world who purchased men from every tribe and nation and people and tongue. That's, that's what he did. Now, after the rapture, a lot of things happen. And here's where the book gets you to thinking a whole lot. Because if the first five chapters didn't do it, chapter 6 is going to get you to thinking. The Greek helps us understand some of it because these seal judgments are going to open up events that are going to go on throughout the tribulation and they are going to increase. You're going to see that there's going to be a massive peace movement in the tribulation. It's already set up to do it. A massive peace movement. The Antichrist is going to use famine. He's going to use death. He's going to use rationing to try and bring about his plan. That's what the four horsemen. Then we find the fifth horseman. There's some people that got saved because there's martyrs that are going to, to start happening. They're not going to bow to the beast, and they're going to start dying for it. And then the sixth seal judgment starts this ecological upheaval that is going to affect the planet. You know, I, it, I, I figured out something from reading this book. Carbon emissions are not going to kill the planet. I think by the time people get through seven years of this, they wish the only problem we had was carbon emissions because there's going to be a lot more problems. The problem is, just like Egypt, they worshiped the environment and they worshiped the gods of the environment and God judged them so the Jews could walk out of Egypt. You're going to find the same thing going on throughout the tribulation. People worship the environment and God's going to strike the trees. He's going to strike the green grass. He's going to strike the fresh water. He is going to strike all those things that mankind has chosen to worship the created rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Now we find that John being a Jew, being inspired as a Jew with his frame of reference, his thought processes, <coughs> was inspired topically. Now that means that here is a subject like the 144,000, that's in chapter 7. And he's going to tell us something about the 144,000. He's going to bring them up again in chapter 14. Now, we're obviously not there. But in chapter 7 is how the 144,000 were selected. Who they were, how they were selected. They're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Who's probably knocking on your door right now. 
They're, it's not them. And you know what? They're not going to work their way into, the, into heaven or to the kingdom. It's not going to happen. You can't work to get there. It's all a matter of grace. And so he tells us 144,000 male virgin Jews from every tribe except Dan. And he tells us where, who they are. We have an angel comes through. I believe the angel comes through right after the rapture. Because he gives the gospel to the whole world. Three angels are talked about in Revelation 14. Okay, So you have to go to Revelation 14 to find these entities that are actually going to fit early on in the tribulation. The first angel says to... That gives the gospel to the whole world. The second angel says, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And we're not going to know more about that till chapter 17 and 18. And then the third angel says, Don't take the mark of the beast. Now, these angels have a message that the whole world hears. And what's the beast trying to do? Install the mark of the beast. So he's saying, Don't do that. That's not the way to live. Is the technology set up? Now, for the mark of the beast? I don't think it's, it is. It wasn't there in 96 A.D., really. I guess you get a tattoo to everybody there, but it, was, uh, uh, it might have been done. But can you imagine? It would have taken more than seven years to tattoo everybody, for one thing. So, anyway, then we move on. Second angel, third angel, um, start moving through the tribulational period. When we hit Revelation 8, 1, it says there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, the book had already told us in Revelation 3, 10 that he would deliver that church from the hour of testing that's going to come on the whole earth. So it looks at the tribulation as an hour. Half an hour is about half the tribulation. And it specifically adds the word about half an hour. We'll see that more as we, as we go through here. 360 day years is what our prophetic years so we keep moving through the uh, tribulational time span about half an hour is the trumpet judgments and trumpet judgments start unleashing various things on mankind fifth trumpet is one we looked at last week where these locust type locust scorpions I guess it's an evolutionary nightmare they come out of the bottomless pit because the, the key to the abyss was given to this destroyer. And he opened them up and he led them out to torment men for five months. They're the very specific times. Then they're going to go back. And then the sixth trumpet is blown. The first trumpet is called the first woe. There's going to be three woes. First trumpet, second trumpet is the... Or sixth trumpet is the second woe. Third trumpet... Is, or seventh trumpet is the third woe that's there. Anytime you see woe, woe, woe in the Bible, you better pay attention. Because it means some bad stuff is getting ready to happen. It's good because God is manifesting who he is. God has told the end from the beginning. God is proving, proving that he is worthy to be trusted. All of the prophecies for the first advent came to pass. I firmly believe that all of them about the rapture and the trib and the second advent will come to pass to the letter. Sound far-fetched? So did the first advent. And there are only about 60 prophecies there to fulfill, which is beyond the law of, uh, law of probabilities to think 
that all 60 of those would have been fulfilled by chance. Just not going to happen. I think in one time 10 to the 60th power, the chances of 60 prophecies being fulfilled like that, that's, that's a whole lot of zeros. That's more than the national debt. We've, by many times. Now, <clears throat> the first woe is past. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. After the five months of these creatures out of the bottomless pit that torment mankind with such a sting they wish they could die, but they can't. Can you imagine being inflicted with such pain that basically prolongs your life? That's what it is. They're going to want to die and they can't. It says in the sixth angel sounded and I this is John heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar now if you just jumped in to chapter 9 you're not going to know what he's talking about here so you have to put these things together the word horns is used 11 times in the New Testament 10 times in the book of Revelation the only place outside the books Luke 169 we'll look at it in a, in a second a horn is a symbol of power. That's what it's used for in Scripture. It's a symbol of power. The golden altar, there was one spoken of in chapter 6, verse 9, where the souls of the martyred reside during the tribulation. So they are under the golden altar. So we have a reference there, and it's picking it back up, and it's going to talk more about the altar. It's going to—he's not done telling us about the altar, but this is the next step in it, which is before God. Now the voice is that of Jesus Christ, who is standing at the altar as a high priest. Revelation 8:3. We did that back in Revelation in chapter 8. Another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer, it says. Much incense was given to him that he might add it to the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. We looked at that and Jesus said, Oh, how I wish I had come to cast fire on the earth. He said that, the first advent. He said, but it's not the right time. And this angel is going to cast fire on the earth. So it looks like it is the right time. An angel means a messenger. So it is very clearly the Lord is bringing a message here. Now he is the horn of salvation. The only place outside Revelation that the word horn is used is in the Luke passage. And guess who he's talking to in Luke 1? Gabriel talking to Mary. Right? Announcing the virgin birth. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. That's quoting from the Old Testament. The Old Testament has what they call a prophetic perfect. Perfect tense usually means past time in the Hebrew language. So if it's a cow perfect, it's something that happened in the past and it's completed. That's normal usage of the perfect. When you use a perfect tense in a prophecy, this is cool. <laughs> Because normally they use an imperfect in a prophecy. And if they go to a perfect tense, it's saying that that prophecy is as guaranteed if it, as if it was already history. Now that's what God is saying. It's just as guaranteed as if it is already done. But it's not. He says, 
He has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. And Jesus was just not even born when this is being brought up again. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. What an amazingly descriptive message. On the day of atonement, blood was taken from the bronze altar... That was the one outside of the tabernacle. The first thing you saw when you walked into the tabernacle or temple proper, you saw the bronze altar, which was the place of the sacrifice and pictured propitiation. That fact that God's righteousness and justice had to be satisfied. It was taken from the bronze altar, sprinkled on its four horns, which represented uh, power in prayer. Luke chapter, or Leviticus chapter 16. So the altar is the focal point of several coming actions. The reaping at the second advent is the first one. Revelation 14, 18. You're going to have two reapings in that chapter. Revelation 14 is one of those chapters that you go, huh? You read through and go, where does this fit? And it should make you ask, where does it fit? That's what it's designed to do. You find the 144,000 in the first part of the chapter standing on Mount Zion with the Lamb after he's returned at the second advent. What happened in chapter 7? They were sealed. What happened in chapter 14? They survived all of the tribulation and they're standing there with him on Mount Zion. And then in the last part of chapter 14... You have two reapings where the Lord swings his sickle over the earth, which is a picture of the rapture. He takes out the righteous and leaves the wicked. The next reaping, he swings his sickle into the earth, and there he will take out the wicked and leave the righteous for the millennial kingdom. There are two different reapings. And it's, it's quite a picture quite a beautiful picture of what he's going to do. The reaping at the second advent, another angel, the one who had the power over fire, came out from the altar. <clears throat> and he called with a loud voice to the one with a sharp sickle, saying, put in your sharp sickle. Gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. And in Revelation 16, <laughs> the third bowl judgment, the bowl judgments, you can see them on the chart all the way near the end of it over there before that big arrow, and it comes downward. That's the second advent when the Lord comes back. Those bowl judgments, you can translate them bowl judgments or vile judgments, V-I-A-L, not V-I-L-E. They're vile, but they're not, that's not what it's referring to. They're, they're judgments on the kingdom of the Antichrist just before the second advent, probably the last 30 days or so of the tribulation. And they're, they're bad. Uh, cancer's on everybody who takes, has taken the mark of the beast. There's, there's a lot of bad stuff that happens there. Re, the Revelation 16, the third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers, springs of waters, they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, Righteous are you. Who is, who was, O Holy One, 
because you did judge these things. For they poured out the blood of saints and prophets, and you gave them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar saying. Now the altar doesn't talk, right? Underneath the altar, who's there? The martyrs from chapter 6. See, it all fits together, but you kind of got to keep track of the topics as it goes through it. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, O Lord God, the Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments. Now, the sixth angel sounded. When? After this time, after this five months, I think just before the middle point of the tribulation. And he heard the voice coming out of there. And then in verse 14... One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Now, the word bound is deo, D-E-O. It's a perfect passive participle. So it's saying are being bound. It indicated that they were bound unless there was a release. They couldn't have gotten out. There was no way to escape. Now, who the bound at the for the four angels that are bound? The bound angels are usually the antediluvian demons, the who infiltrated the human race in Genesis chapter six, and they were bound in Tartarus for the great day of judgment. These angels, it tells us, are there they are at at the river Euphrates, somewhere are and release the four. Now they're four of Satan's angels because they're bound. Okay, that's that's kind of the blatantly obvious there. They wouldn't be bound if they were uh, God's angels. It occurs about 1,230 days after the rapture. Now, that's my my best estimate on this. And part of why I'm doing why, why it's done this way is because some prophetic pictures have about 40 things happening on one day. Well, that's not normally the way things happen. The sequence of events would have to be too great. So what you have is along about 30 days before the midpoint. Because at the midpoint, things really get hot and heavy. At the midpoint, the two witnesses are killed. And they lay in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days, and they're caught up, and the whole world watches them. So what is going on just before that? Well... This is one of the things that is that is happening, I believe, about 30 days before the midpoint of the tribulation. These four angels lead the kings of the east. We went to Revelation 16 to put this piece of the puzzle together. Because it says, The sixth angel poured out his bowl upon the great river, the river Euphrates. And its water was dried up that it might be prepared for the kings of the east. That's the bold judgments. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs and their spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and keeps his garments lest he walk about naked and men see his shame. And they gathered them together in the place which in Hebrew is called Har-Mageddon. 
I guess we've heard that, haven't we? Without the strong H, Armageddon. Well, <clears throat> what is going to happen is that this this trumpet, the sixth trumpet, is going to release these angels where they can uh, uh, help and assist. And then, as these kings of the east are moving to Jerusalem, I've got to put a lot of passages together for that, they're moving to the south end of the Dead Sea. And they're going to kill a third of mankind. That's coming up in here along the way. But one of the things they have to do is come through Iraq and cross the Euphrates River. And it's going to be dried up just prior to the second advent so they can get down there and assemble. They will probably appear, these four angels bound at the Euphrates, as the leaders of the four major Eastern religions. Now, I don't have all the, the facts and data in here uh, for you, but what, what is happening is that Hinduism is expecting their next Shiva. Shiva is the chief god of the Hindu religions. They're polytheistic. And all of the world religions are looking for their next great leader to come along. So Shiva is, uh, they say, well, he's the big god. He's the number one god. His name means destroyer. Kind of interesting. He's going to be destroyed. But uh, actually in the south end, very south end of India, uh, Cape Corman is a temple to Shiva, which is a massive temple that they have down there where they uh, worship this particular Hindu deity. And that's where they watch the... It, it It is the south end of India. The very tip of India is down there. And that's where they decided to put a temple. Buddhism is looking for the fifth Buddha. Buddha means the enlightened one. So they're looking for the next Buddha to come along in their, in their uh, scenario. Uh, Taoism is looking for Lao Tzu. His name means the way. I think there might be any counterfeits going on in these polytheistic religion and Confucianism is uh, uh, looking for the Grand Master Kung that's the next one that they are looking for so these demons very well can be turned loose and demons have the ability to um, indwell, manifest, do all kinds of things and they will probably show up as the world leaders of these religions and you know what they'll do they're all polytheists, including the Antichrist. So what happens if a guy comes back and he's the fifth Buddha, Lord Maitreya, they call him. He comes back and he's the fifth Buddha. He's going to say, look, I'm back, just like you're looking for. But there's one greater than me here. Sound like a counterfeit of John the Baptist? There's one greater than me here. Follow him. And they'll try to get him the world's religions to follow the Antichrist. That's why they're going to link up with him at the south end of the Dead Sea because there's, there's two main enemies, ideological enemies, of um, uh, polytheists. One is a monotheist and one is an atheist. Who are they going after? They're going after the last remaining bastion of monotheists whose God is bringing all this destruction on the earth. They know that from chapter 16. He's bringing all this destruction on the earth, and they're going after the Jews. Because the third of mankind they kill are the Muslims. 
They're leaving from the Eastern Asia area, which is polytheistic. They're going to cross all the Istan countries. Those Istan countries are Muslim. Pakistan, Tajikistan, Kyrgyzstan, if it's an Istan country, it's a Muslim country is what it is. How many people do they have to kill to get to the south end of Jerusalem? About a third of mankind. It's about what they're going to have to do. Now, all the polytheistic religions are looking for their next great leader. And it says in the four angels who had been prepared for the day and hour and month and year were released. Aris tense, passive indicative. Aris tense says they were released at a point in time. They've been bound up till this time of release. I think about 30 days before the midpoint of the trip. Passive is they were set free and let go from being bound. Indicative is historical facts. So that they might kill a third of mankind. They've been given permission to kill a third of mankind. It's a present tense used here with a subjunctive indicating they're not going to do it all at once. They're going to, they're going to take actually close to three years, three and a half years. And they start moving together in an army from the east and they start moving toward Jerusalem to link with the their Messiah the man who's taken his seat in the temple of God and proclaimed himself to be a God now <clears throat> with the in 915 and the four angels have been prepared so they might kill a third of mankind now with the death of a third of mankind only about 50 percent of the original post-rapture group will be left because a fourth of mankind's already been killed. So if you take 100% minus 25% leaves you 75% of the post-rapture group. 75% minus a third is leaves you at about half of what's there. Now, what kind of carnage is that? Well, let's see. You're down to about two. You killed about two and a half billion people on the planet and a lot of the environmentalists and evolutionists will say that's good because we can only sustain 500 million on this planet so we're we're making progress won't be any remorse by some of the leadership over this the deaths of the, these folks Satan's forces wants to get the entire world to follow him and set up a counterfeit millennium by removing all believers and potential believers one thing that power finds out about is that the the more people you got to control the harder it is you know so what's one of your options decrease the number of people to control you see people roaming around the streets uh, as thugs you can't hardly miss that out on the uh, television roaming around the street as thugs and they are following the exact same game plan is the Bolsheviks in 1917 when they took over Russia the exact same plan and you know what they did after they went in and they they raised cane throughout all the streets of Moscow and everything and they took them out you know what they kill people not six million like they they did Hitler did with the Jews these are in the 30s and 40s and 50 million and a lot of them think there's been over 100 billion people executed by the communists since they took power. So if you disagree, you you got a problem. 
in uh, one of the trips that we took over there in the former behind the Iron Curtain location, if you speak against the president of the country or make any disparaging remark, and that's any remark the government could take as disparaging, disparaging remark against the government is a two-year prison sentence. And people want to be like that. Some of them want to have that in this nation. They don't want any freedom of speech. They don't want people to be able to openly discuss ideas. That's therein. That's where it's headed. And anybody that's ever tried to live under that, unless you're an elite uh, individual that's provided all the accoutrements of, of not having to experience it, nobody wants to live that way. And yet, when people want to impose it on you, it's not a good idea. But you know what? It's where it's headed in the last days. That's where it's headed. If you're going to have a one world government under the Antichrist, guess which way the world's moving. Realize it or not. Now, <clears throat> they'll seek to eradicate the monotheistic Muslims as well as those who are atheistic. That's the Russians. Satan's arrogance believes his plan will work even though it's prophesied and doomed. And you say, why is he going on with this? Why is he following the pattern? Part of it is a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. Because he might have authority, but he doesn't have all power. And that's part of why it is going not that's part of why he's gonna try to do it, try to upset God's plan somehow. And uh, it's doomed, but he thinks he can do it, thinks he can get away with it. It says in verse sixteen, and the number of the armies of the horsemen. This is the word hippocon. It's only used once in the New Testament, clearly referring to horsemen in the sense of cavalry. These, these are uh, horsemen on cavalry was 200 million. I heard the number of them. Now this note is added to show the literal and exact nature of Scripture. And is it at least 200 million? I think so. But see, you've already got half the population. Um, well, you got it a fourth of them gone anyway already of mankind but these numbers were not possible in John's day some people think the rapture could have happened at any moment from the day of Pentecost on and I, I just disagree this is one of the reasons because if the rapture happened you got a long gap period of time there with no dispensation no instructions no nothing and the church was already a parenthesis Okay. You've got this long period of time here that uh, you're going to have to have it, at least enough people on the planet that the kings of the east can mount a 200 million man army. Or the prophecy couldn't be fulfilled. 1965, Time Magazine, May 21st, 1965, China boasted a 200 million man army. So, <clears throat> I don't know what it is now. But that's a lot of people. With their loss during the fourth seal, the other armies will make up the difference. It says, And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire. That word color of fire is puranos, the only place it's used in the New Testament. It's kind of a unique red. And of hyacinth, which is the dark blue of a lily or a sapphire. And a brimstone, 
which is a yellow, a sulfurous type of yellow. So you have the breastplates had red, blue, and yellow. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. Now the symbolism changes. From the fifth to the sixth trumpet as mankind is being described, not demons. The first part was demons that came out of the bottomless pit. They have breastplates on them, faces of a man and all that, but that's not what they are. These horses don't have the face of the man, but they do have riders. Thus they represent transportation. The riders have insignias on their breastplates, red, blue, and yellow. And it'll probably be of a flag that contains red, blue, and yellow. China's flag has one large, four small yellow stars on a field of red. So the vehicles have a formidable appearance and seem to be some sort of flame-throwing tank. But see, John didn't have that vocabulary. He, couldn't, he had no idea what a mechanized vehicle was. I don't even know if they developed catapults by that point in time. But they still, something that actually drove itself, you pushed on a funny little pedal down there and it took off by itself. But that seems to be what he is describing. It's appropriate for the eastern nations <coughs> who worship a fire-breathing dragon. So, <coughs> until 1912, China's flag was a red ball on a yellow field with a blue dragon. So, is that prophetic specifically a China? Whatever it is, it looks like those polytheistic nations mesh together. They can have their own new symbol or a, a, a insignia of some kind, and that's what's going to be on these. And it says that a third of the mankind was killed by these three plagues by the fire and smoke and brimstone which proceed out of their mouths. So if you have six million, about one-sixth are Christians, benefit of the doubt, five billion left. Okay, a third of mankind killed, that leaves, what, three and a third billion people left. And then uh, we end up down at half, down to two and a half billion. We have um, uh, a prophecy that is going to be fulfilled. It says a third of mankind was killed. So they're given the instructions to kill. The prophecy says it'll happen. It's not just a possibility. So the prophecy of the killing of a third will be fulfilled. There's external, internal, and soul torment heaped upon mankind. And it's just the beginning, beginning to intensify for unbelievers. Now the first half of the tribulation is got its problems. But after the trumpets hit and the star falls out of heaven, you get some serious problems on a global scale. But right off the bat, right after the rapture, you know, it's talking about peace. They're trying to figure out what to do. The economy is going to be hurting because so many workers are gone. They're no longer there anymore. What are we going to do? How are we going to feed people? And that's um, kind of like Alinsky said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Okay? So they're going to put that into operation. The Antichrist is going to rise to power, conquer three of ten nations in his rise to power, set up and establish an eighth nation. And it says more about the 
these creatures, the power, which is the word exousia, it's the word authority, not the word dynamite that you'd kind of expect. The authority of the horses is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. These are funny looking creatures, to say the least. They're funny looking creatures if you try to do an artist rendering. But I think if you see the symbolism here in the figures of speech come from John's lack of vocabulary at his disposal. See, he's already taken the word puranos, which is kind of a unique kind of red. It's not the normal word for red. He's already taken words that lend itself to saying that these are figures of speech that are there. These tanks, I think they're kind of a tank, are evidently pulling something like a missile launcher. Their power is in their tails. Could it be stinger missiles? They do a lot of stinging, don't they? The tails are smart. Isn't that what it kind of indicates? For their tails are like serpents and they have heads. Smart missile? How would you describe it? Put yourself on the island where John is and try to figure out what you're going to do. And he, he's seen air a shot. You know, you shoot an arrow and it's going where you point it, allowing for wind and stuff like that. What an arrow is not going to do when you shoot it is going to bend around the side of a building and hunt out a prey. That's not what it's going to do. He's saying that they're, they have heads. They're controlling them. With them they do harm. It's a campaign. It'll last for over three years. That's what we know about it. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues. By these plagues. You see that phrase? Did not repent of the works of their hands. Now, the choices are going to be more clear than they've ever been in the history of the world. Because everybody knows the God of the heavens is the one bringing these plagues on the earth. And this will be that statement will be further proved as we move through Revelation. They know who it is. And he says they did not repent of the works of their hands. So as to not worship demons. That's another thing that lends to they're going to manifest themselves as the four new rulers of the four major polytheistic religions. And the idols of gold, of silver, of brass, of stone, and wood, which can neither see or hear nor walk. That sound Old Testament? Sound Pauline? Yeah. Why worship an idol? It's nothing. An idol is nothing. Eating meat offered idols, it's really nothing. Because an idol is nothing. <laughs> you know, think you think through the things. Mankind can and does reach an incredible level of scar tissue on the soul. They can't think properly because they don't seek the sevenfold ministry of the Holy Spirit that's introduced all the way back in chapter 4 and 5. That guidance from the Holy Spirit, they don't, they don't even want to know what it is. What type? What have they rejected? What have they accepted? Because repent means to change their mind. Self-will. If they're not willing to change their mind, they have a problem with self-will. Demon angels. Colossians 2.18. They're praying to a higher being, but they're not praying to God. Gold idols. 
that seek to become a god because gold is representative of deity. 1 Timothy 1.6, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And guess where we find that with, with gold. So here they are praying to gold idols, silver idols that counterfeits redemption because silver in Scripture is a picture of redemption. Uh, counterfeits redemption. How would you counterfeit that? Penance. You counterfeit that thinking you can redeem yourself. Then I can make my good works outweigh my sins. That I can make my good karma outweigh my bad karma. That I can somehow, on this balanced scale of eternity, I can tip it in my favor so I tip over into heaven and don't tip over into hell. That's a, that is an idol of uh, the silver kind. Brass idols. With brass is a picture of judgment, counterfeits judgment. That's the wrong determination of right and wrong. The songs we sing today hit that. People think they're doing right and they're doing wrong. And they're going to argue with you. When there is but one standard. And it's found in the revelation from the Almighty. He's the one that says what is right and what is wrong. You can make all the laws of mankind you want to make. And it's still not going to change the laws of God. How about stone idols? Well, what would that be a counterfeit of? You're praying to a little stone idol. Well, I just I choose to put my feet on the rock. Stand on the on the rock. They stone idols indicate shaky footing, if nothing else. And wood idols. What happened on a piece of wood two thousand years ago? Counterfeit the cross. That's another form of salvation. Seven different types of idols are mentioned. Seven, seven, seven different types of idolatry. And idols have three major problems. They can't see, so they don't know what's going on. That's the argument that is there. Mike Dunn can't see, but he knows what's going on because he's got his senses trained, but an idol's not alive. So an idol can't train their senses to do other things and use their memory and their, their touch. An idol can't do that. They can't hear. So they can't listen to your needs. You can set that little goofy little Buddha up on a shelf and you can pray that stinking thing. Oh, you want to pray that stinking thing? And uh, I don't... What is that crazy thing that they have that around Christmas time for the kids? Imp on a chimp or uh, elf on a shelf. Elf on a shelf. Okay. Elf on a shelf. And this thing is just a little computer program. And they go by and tell it, what a con. I'd rather tell them Santa exists. <laughs> that elf is listening to you. What? <laughs> just tell the elf what you want. And we're going to do a playback later. And we'll know what kind of gifts to get you. Of course, my grandkids were really good with that because they got a list you're going to have to have a computer to keep track of. They can't walk. So they can't come to help. It is so foolish to worship idols. It is beyond description. And guess what is inspired for John to write? Mankind is worshiping their idols rather than worshiping the Almighty. Spiritually blind mankind. I don't think you've got the end of that sentence <laughs> in there. But I don't. Until I wrote it in. It chooses to follow idols and does not repent. 
Spiritually blind mankind chooses to follow idols and does not repent. Verse 21. And they did not repent. That's our metanoia word, change the mind. They did not change the mind of their murders nor of their sorceries. Sorceries is the word pharmakia. This is... uh, fascinating to me we're going to see this again Revelation 18 one of the problems of prophetical Babylon is her sorceries is the way they translate it pharmakia has to do with the illicit use of drugs exactly what it does and the reason they translated sorcerer is because that was the pharmacies of the ancient world They went to the witch doctors. They went to the shamans. They went to these people who mixed up the herbs and they mixed up the herbs and and that that was part of their sorcery. And so that's why they translated it sorcery. I think it's a very bad translation. It's misleading because it is an issue of, of drug abuse. Now there's a legitimate use of pharmaceuticals. Don't misunderstand that. But there is also that abuse of same. And what do you think's going on in the tribulation? How did the, how did the Chinese get their people ready to attack in human assault waves in World War One and World War Two? Opium. They got them so stinking high they didn't know what they were doing. Said charge, and they just they were trying to get you to use all your bullets on the human targets so the rest of them could come in and kill you. What a wonderful um, life life to have. What a wonderful attitude. I will sacrifice all these people so I will get the power. Who would ever want to follow a ruler like that? Of their sorceries, of their immorality, that's pornea. We get the word porn from it. Their fornications is the best translation of that word. Nor of their thefts. Clema is the word there, translated as it should be as theft. The changing one's mind is a prime issue in the tribulation. The tribulation, God wants all to, he doesn't want any to perish, but all to change their mind, come to a full knowledge of the truth. That's what he wants. So why is all this pressure coming on? Because a lot of times, mankind can't handle the prosperity and they have to have pressure in their life to make the necessary changes. Some pressure is just for the frailty of the human flesh connected with the sin nature. That's part of where some pressure comes from. Other pressure, though, is it comes from uh, self-imposition, and they're not they're not willing to to change. Idolatry places no value. Context here: idolatry places no value on life. They didn't change. They repent of their murders. Idolatry places no no value on clear thinking. They would rather be able to escape through their drug abuse to any number of places. Idolatry places no value on morality. You think we're in the middle of a mess just like what he's talking about here? Already? And then you pull the Christian restrainer out, the Holy Spirit out, and what do you got in the tribulation? You got a mess like it's never been seen before in the history of the world. And you know what? They're going to cry for a ruler. 
And the first one they're going to choose is the Antichrist. And then the Lord's going to come back and say, I'm the only one who can fix this. And they have no value on the property of others called thefts. When they think they can come and take your property at will. There's a places or countries in this world. Myanmar is one of them, known as a kleptocracy. Means that anything you can steal is is legal. It's not really legal, but nobody's there to catch you. Because if you get caught, you just pay them off. We were in Russia one time, and uh, the chauffeur I had, the taxi driver that I had, uh, he just comes clipping along, and there's a cop standing out on the sidewalk, and he goes, Choo! and no car, no nothing, just cops standing out there. Pull off the side. He goes over 10, 15 minutes later. He comes back and we're good to go. Well, what happened? Well, I paid the fine. What? He said, yeah, it took some negotiating. <laughs> now, what kind of fine was that? <laughs> that's, that's not hard to figure out. And he said, I know, I know one guy that was uh, foolish enough, a missionary over there, said, I'm not going to pay the fine. I wasn't speeding. We're going to take your driver's license. One of the biggest mistakes he ever made. Took over six months to get that thing back. So there you are in the situation of you bribe the cop. Because a cop at that point in time, about 20, 30 years ago, was the second highest paid job in Russia. How? It wasn't by what the government was paying them. The property of others. Theft. When the people think that they that your property they deserve to have. And that's their attitude. So that's kind of socialistic, isn't it? Whenever what you've got is mine, and what I've got is mine, that's the way it, people think. Idolatry is no more than a self-centered humanism. That's all it is. That is all it is. And that's a lot. Because it's taking over the thought processes including some Christians that should know better and are falling prey to it. Well, next week we're going to look at the uh, chapter 10. It gets, gets more and more fun. More and more fun. Read ahead. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this day. Thank you for your grace and love and mercy. Thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for your word. Father, we, uh, we've just seen you make some direct statements that some things are going to happen. And Father, we know there's some figurative language, and we know that we can just best describe them as we can right now, but no matter our frailties in description, Father, we know that you're going to bring these to pass, and when they do, they're going to be very clear. So Father, I pray that we will be prepared, and we will be ready for this next great prophetic event you've revealed to us as the rapture. May we be ready when the trumpet sounds and the Lord shows up and the voice calls us home forevermore. We'll give you the praise. We'll join the heavenly chorus. And we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.